You are now listening to the E-Watchman Podcast with your host, Robert King. Post Podcast. This is episode number 70, recorded in the post-memorial week as the full moon is on the wane. Well, the typical crazy stuff is going on in the world. A new terrorist bombing in uh, Brussels has killed how many? 36 or some? Of course, this is a, a terrible tragedy, but, uh, it, you know, it's big, big news in Europe and America and the English-speaking world, but an incident like this is pretty much a, a normal occurrence in the uh, Islamic world. I think Americans and Europeans lose sight of that, that the propaganda machine has you know, painted Islam as a religion of terror and war. Well, let me tell you something, friends. <laughs> the jihadis, the ISIS, whatever you want to call them, have killed many more of their fellow Muslims than they ever have uh, Westerners. For example, it, it came out in the news the other day, but it wasn't that big of a deal that... Uh, a terrorist blew himself up at a soccer match in Baghdad, and it actually killed more people than were killed in Brussels. But uh, it didn't exactly receive uh, round-the-clock news coverage. And as I say, it's a, it's a fairly uh, regular occurrence. And I only bring that up to show the the bias of the media. And, and really, it, it it's a form of propaganda, that the West is under siege by the, the Islamists. I got an email uh, questioner just as I was as sitting down to do this podcast where someone asked if the flood of refugees into Europe uh, would perhaps be the means by which Jehovah would Caused the you know the overthrow of Babylon the Great, since supposedly all the all these uh, refugees are anti-Christian, and I have to say no that that is not the means by which Babylon the Great will be overthrown. The Bible clearly shows that it will be all the nations under the authority of the eighth king, that God will put it into their hearts of the kings. No, no flood of refugees or terrorists could ever bring down all of the religions in the world. Uh, and people don't understand that, obviously, Muslim people, Sunni and Shia, they, uh, they're like you and I. They just want to get along and make a living, raise their families, and they've gotten along for uh, many years. It's interesting that in some of the 
Islamic countries that had the most stable societies in Iraq and Syria, Christians were well tolerated. Christians and uh, Sunni and Shia, they all got along until <laughs> until the United States uh, bombed Iraq and uh, took out Saddam Hussein. He was, of course, a strongman dictator. He held the country together. And since then, esti some estimates run that over one million Iraqis have been killed either directly by NATO assault or through hunger, sickness, and terrorist bombing since then. Same situation in Syria. It, Christians were allowed to, to live there. And, of course, now ISIS is going around beheading Christians to create some sort of outrage. Uh, but uh, the flood of refugees into, into Europe is, for sure, destabilizing. But don't, don't allow your minds to be swayed that they, they're intent on overthrowing society. You know, the, the uncomfortable thing for, for the establishment is that obviously the, the intent of the empire is to reduce the population of the world. That's, that's been a tenet of their um, strategy for many, many years, and they have an, a number of uh, means at their disposal to bring about population reduction. But the thing is... Uh, most people will not simply lay down and die. <laughs> so when, when a family's means of livelihood is destroyed, such as the millions of millions of families in Iraq and Syria and Libya, another nation that was destroyed by NATO and thrown into chaos and destabilized, where are those people going to go? Well... They get on little rickety boats and go across the Mediterranean or they travel up through Turkey and Greece to try to find uh, a way to survive. And, you know, they, <laughs> the, the uh, president of Syria said, well, if you want to solve the refugee problem, speaking to Europeans, stop destabilizing my country and stop promoting ISIS, stop funding ISIS. And, you know, and all this, people just don't really realize what is happening, that ISIS is a solely synthetic creation controlled by British and American intelligence through their... The British have been mucking around in, in the Middle East for 150 years, and they have the networks well-established... The Arab Emirates are basically, including Saudi Arabia, an extension of the British Empire. And interestingly, I, I just tweeted something the other day about it was discovered some months ago that some of the email IPs of, of uh, these jihadis, ISIS, actually, they traced them to a government agency in the U.K., and this shouldn't really come as some revelation or surprise, but it is to a lot of people who aren't really tuned in. But I remember some years ago, you remember the Somali pirates? 
uh, they were you know, hijacking tankers and freighters. In fact, there was a a movie at, um, made about it with Tom Hanks recently. I forget the name of it. Anyway, uh, it came out in the Guardian that these Somalis pirates had had uh, sophisticated GPS and communications that were being run out of an office in London. And, of course, when The Guardian broke this story, then this spokesman said, oh, this is just a, uh, a you know rogue element operating here. We shut it down, blah, blah. End of story. <laughs> okay, then. I have a number of questions here. I guess that was uh, considered an answer to a question. Uh, this is a similar question, though, and uh, he says, given the Republican Party and the establishment's disdain for Trump and their seemingly paranoid scrambling for a way to stop him, along with the almost revolutionary-style uprising of the people, could it be that this may be the beginnings of the foretold pushing the people against the empire? Could the Trump phenomena be a threat against the empire? It's been running through my mind. I'm just curious if you have any thought, uh, if you thought about the same thing. Well, I remember last summer when Trump announced his candidacy, my wife and I were sitting there watching this news program on television, and we both looked at each other in astonishment and started laughing because it seemed like a joke. Donald Trump, this reality show guy, is with the funny-looking hair, and he's he's running for president. Really, really. Uh, but yeah, really. Now he's uh, it's it's been amusing to watch, and I, I think a lot of the establishment insiders were amused at first until he started gaining in popularity, and and now they are scrambling as the uh, questioner notes. I think part of the problem is that, you know, again, this is like I commented, people don't want to just lay down and die. <laughs> and, and people are, look, they're desperate. People in the United States have been, uh, the middle class has shrunk considerably. People that formerly had uh, well-paying jobs are now working two and three jobs. They're not working at all and trying to hang on. And they keep voting for these people that make all kinds of promises and never come through. And they see the, you know, the rich getting richer and everybody else being left with whatever's left. And uh, Donald Trump seems to be their man, you know, because he speaks against this establishment. But obviously, part of the problem is, you know, this this thing has been going on just as the so-called empire has a policy of population reduction, some years ago they, they made it their purpose to dumb down the population, particularly of America, because they, they know, of course, that stupefied and ignorant people are much easier to control than well-educated people. So they began the process uh, of dumbing down back in the early 60s. For example, they, high schools in the United States started 
lowering academic standards. They they got rid of teaching the classics and Latin and uh, you know it, it went with the, you know social things, teaching you know social skills and and it's really it's really gotten bad. And I, I know you that have kids in school, particularly public schools. It's but it's been a gradual gradual process, and so people are fed with all this nonsense on television and as I say, the propaganda, degrading music as the watchtower is warned about for years and years. But it has an effect, a demoralizing, stupefying effect upon people. And now people are not aware of history. They're not aware of the real issues. They're not aware of so many things that people a generation or two ago were. And so now <laughs> Trump is appealing to this these masses of people who have been stupefied and dumbed down. And so <laughs> now they have to deal with the monster that they've created because Donald Trump apparently has tapped into their anger and their rage. And it is uh, almost a, a revolution in the making. But obviously, Donald Trump is not the savior. If anything... You know, he's been compared to Mussolini and even Hitler. And the comparison, I think, is apt because if you recall, both Mussolini and Hitler were elected democratically. <laughs> and uh, then they usurped power and became dictators. And, of course, the same thing can happen anywhere in a so-called democratic republic. And... Uh, I think that's where we're going. I think Donald Trump actually has uh, connections to the mob, the mafia. But I, uh, I'm just repeating what I've read. No one can really say, but well, someone could. But I don't know. I think the solution, if the if the establishment, is so-called, uh, doesn't want him, they'll they'll give him the the Kennedy treatment at some point. You know. John and his brother, his brother Robert was uh, ready to seal up the nomination and, and uh, he would have most certainly become president. And that was uh, not considered acceptable by certain dark powers. So, but there, there is, we are at the end. As far as the pushing, I think the pushing is a, on a grander scale. The, there's a propaganda war between the West demonizing Russia and China. Russia and China are trying to build what they call the New Silk Road, connecting South Asia and bringing prosperity to Africa and the war-ravaged Middle East. Uh, but according to the West... Russia and China are the, you know, the existential threat to the United States and must be stopped. And but this is the policy of the so-called neocons going back to uh, the end of the the Cold War. The, their policy is to not have any rival that could uh, stand up against the Anglo-American duo, 
And they view, of course, Russia demonstrated that they have the capabilities. They unveiled that in, in their short war in Syria. And the Chinese are rapidly developing a military. And the United States is determined to prevent that. And hmm. so there's a, there's a propaganda war for sure. There's cyber wars that are heating up, financial wars, currency wars. Uh, and proxy wars in the Middle East, Ukraine, and the empire is using their terrorist assets, as I've mentioned. What's the next step? Well, it has to be uh, social chaos for sure. Europe is ready to explode. The United States is too. There are many fault lines uh, in the United States. There's a simmering racial divide that is being exploited and Europe with this immigration uh, problem, you could easily see this society's rent. What is interesting, and I, and I would uh, stress this, Christendom, of course, was centered in Europe and through colonialism it spread to the America, South America, for sure, the islands of the Pacific, and really around the world. But Europe and America are really still the heart of Christendom. And yet they're facing this collapse of their financial system. And don't be fooled by the, the stock market going up. It nearly collapsed after the first of the year. And what has happened, all the central banks... Lowering interest rates, we're getting into negative interest rates now. They're talking about helicopter money, so-called, where they just put money into corporations' bank accounts and even individuals, and they spend it, spend it quick, quick. That's the last desperate attempt to keep the system from collapsing. But that's what Europe and the United States are facing. China is going through a lot of financial chaos, but they're also... Uh, somewhat insulated. I don't want to go into that, but so. But this is interesting. I think go back to uh, the eleventh chapter of Daniel, and that's where the angel revealed to Daniel about the long-running history of the king of the north and the south, and that in the time of the end begins this pushing. But when the angel introduced this prophecy. He said that in the first year of Darius the king, I stood up as a strengthener and a fortress to him. I think about the implications of that. We know that these empires are really from Satan, that he gives them his throne. And the wild beasts, you know, with the head, seven heads, Persia was one of the heads of, of that beast. But here, the angel of Jehovah is saying that he stood up as a strengthener to Darius, the king of Persia. And that is because the Jehovah used him to accomplish a phase of his purpose. Has Jehovah's angel stood up as a strengthener at any other time since then? Well, we'd have to say probably. You know, the United States was a, 
was a safe haven for people who were fleeing religious persecution. Notably, the pilgrims came from England and from Holland, and they, when they came to the United States, they brought their King James Bibles with them. And then when the government was formed, it was built into the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that all citizens would have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom to assemble together. And so it was the perfect environment for the Watchtower Society to thrive. And even though the Watchtower interprets some of these prophecies that the, you know, the beast persecuted and killed God's servants and all that, that's, that's not true. It was the United States that stood up for Jehovah's Witnesses back during the, the time of the Great Depression leading up into a Second World War. Jehovah's Witnesses were persecuted, that's, that's for sure. But they were not persecuted by the U.S. government, not during... They were, I suppose, in the First World War, brought up on espionage, but it was the small-town uh, sheriffs and the mobs the Catholic action groups that were primarily uh, trying to break up the work of Jehovah's Witnesses. And the United States actually defended their rights, and as is well known, many Supreme Court decisions were in behalf of Jehovah's Witnesses. So that is, I think, uh, proof that God had made America a safe place so he could accomplish his work and just think if the Watchtower had been headquartered in Germany during World War II, it, it would have been disrupted, obviously. But when the time comes for this system to close down, then the, the operation goes into reverse. Whereas Jehovah may have provided a safe haven, it's also many examples in the Bible where uh, Jehovah uses a tyrannical uh, empire to punish his people, to discipline. So that's what is to occur after this pushing is done and, and hostilities break out. And that's when uh, the um, holy places overrun and God's people are oppressed. And I've written enough on that. I don't need to really go into it here, but that's that's where we're going with all this. How is it going to play out in the minutia with Donald Trump? I don't know. Uh, but if he's elected, he might become... Uh, well, we do know that the, the, the republic is, is going to go away, and uh, he might be the one to preside over the, the empire. All right, here's a, here's a question uh, concerning Jesus and when he uh, came into Jerusalem on a, a colt <laughs> of a donkey. He says, I know you prefer questions about prophecy. However, if you have a moment and find this worth, worth your consideration, he says, my question is about the entrance of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the colt and the crowds were hailing him all over the city as the king. And uh, 
He said that was undoubtedly a magnificent spectacle. And the Pharisees approached Jesus and bemoaned the fact uh, that the crowds were hailing him, and they urged Jesus to calm the crowds. And uh, Jesus replied, if the people had not hailed him as a king, the stones would cry out. He said, please, what did Jesus mean by saying the stones would cry out? Well, this this re- really is a question about prophecy, isn't it? Because in the ninth chapter of Zechariah, it was foretold that Jesus would come as king riding on a donkey. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous, bringing salvation humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a female donkey. It's interesting that uh, in the book of John, it says that the disciples did not understand this at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they recalled that these things were written about him and that they did these things to him. And that was specifically in reference to Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey and being hailed as the king. Save, we pray, uh, son of David. And that's when the the Pharisees said, rebuke them. Do you not hear what they're saying? And uh, Jesus said, did you never read, I shall furnish praise from the mouths of babes? But the fact that this was foretold in prophecy, that the people would hail him and rejoice greatly, and that's why Jesus said, look, if they didn't do this, then the stones would would call out. So Jesus was just stressing that there's nothing that anyone could do to prevent prophecy from being fulfilled. Jehovah foretold it would happen, and it happened. (laughs) <laughs> There's, the Pharisees couldn't have quieted the crowd, and Jesus wasn't about to because he, he was going to, to his death in order to fulfill prophecy. So he would never do anything to, to prevent it, and, and no one else could either. Jesus used a similar expression, if you recall. It, it's a figure of speech, hyperbole. Remember after outlining all the things that would happen during the conclusion, and this generation will not pass away. And he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Well, we know that heaven and earth will not pass away. Jehovah made the earth to last forever, will never be made to fall. So what did Jesus mean? Well, again, he was stressing that Everything else can go by the way, but the words of God and the words that Christ spoke by means of God's inspiration, prophecy, they will be fulfilled. Nothing can prevent that. It would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away, but that won't happen either. So it can be absolutely certain that all the things that have not been fulfilled yet, and there are many, they will be fulfilled, and probably in the not-too-distant future. Here's an interesting question. 
If Jesus is the only one that Jehovah gave life within himself, then that means that Satan and the angels depend on Jehovah to sustain their lives. Does the Bible mention anything about how spirit creatures like Satan are living for so long? I know Satan will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire as punishment for sinning against Jehovah. Well, no, the Bible doesn't really go into that, and it doesn't tell us very much about Satan personally. It doesn't even give us his name, for that matter. Some people mistakenly think that his name was Lucifer, but that's, that's not his personal name. But that, that is an interesting point. Uh, Jesus was the first one to attain immortality. And, of course, the 144,000 will also be immortal and indestructible. Jehovah gives that to them. So all of the angels, uh, in some way, have to depend upon Jehovah to sustain their life. We know how it works in, in the earthly realm. We have to eat. We have to breathe. We, have, you know, we, we live in a very thin bubble of atmosphere, and you know, there are a lot of things that have to be right for us to keep living. But even in that, obviously, we, we grow old and die. So are the angels that sinned against God, the, the unclean spirits, as Jesus called them, are they dying? But we would have to assume so, yes. Uh, but what is the, the lifespan of a dying demon? Uh, we have no way of knowing. Is it a you know, 10,000 years, maybe, maybe longer, who knows? But interestingly, um, some years ago, the Watchtower published a brochure. I can't remember the name of it, but I do remember... Uh, a graphic image that depicted the demons as being old and decrepit. And uh, I think that that pretty much uh, demonstrates the, the point we're talking about here. So anyway, they're not going to die of old age. We can be sure of that, as the questioner said, that they're going to be thrown in a lake of fire, meaning a permanent annihilation, and uh, we'd have to say good riddance. All right, final question here. How would you interpret Psalm 4516? It is my understanding that Israel lost the privilege to be the sons of the kingdom, and it was granted to spiritual Israelites instead so that this applies to the anointed and not to the elders. But then why does it state that they will be princes in all the earth and over all the earth? Is there any further reasoning you might have on this subject? Okay, well, Psalm 4516, uh, that states specifically, your sons will take the place of your forefathers and you will appoint them as princes in all the earth. The 45th Psalm is talking about the Messiah and his coronation as king. So who are the princes that Jesus will appoint in all the earth? Consider what Jesus said in response to the Sadducees. I think it's in the 22nd chapter of Matthew. 
they were the ones that asked, they approached him and asked him, you know, this ridiculous question about if a man dies and he has seven brothers and he never had a child and then his, his brother marries his wife and he dies without a child and the next brother and so on and so on, <laughs> who, who will be married to her in the resurrection? And of course, Jesus set them straight and uh, he said, you know, neither the scriptures or the power of God. Anyway, then he turns the tables on them and asks them a question. First, he says, uh, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, David's. And then he asked them, okay, well, how is it then that David under inspiration calls him Lord? And then he quoted Psalm 110, Job has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And it says nobody was able to say a word in reply to him. And from that day on, no one dared to question him any further. Well, do you know the answer to that question? If the, if the Christ is the son of David, why did David, under inspiration, refer to him as my Lord? If a person is a son, then how could they be Lord <laughs> over him? So, But obviously the, the answer is Jesus is a son of David in that he, he is a descendant of David in the flesh. But when Jesus comes in his kingdom, as, as the psalm said, he will resurrect David, and then David will be subject to him so that Jesus will be his Lord. And that's how we are to understand Psalm 45, 16. Your sons will take the place of your forefathers. We, we have the record of the genealogy of uh, the forefathers of the Messiah, the Jewish forefathers, and they all died, right? But again, when Jesus rules in the kingdom and the resurrection begins, he will become their father because Jesus is the last Adam. He has taken Adam's place. Adam was our original father and sold us into sin. Jesus repurchased us and is, will become mankind's new father primarily via the resurrection. So his sons will become, or excuse me, his forefathers will become his sons. And some of those he will appoint as princes in all the earth. And they will work as human representatives of the heavenly kingdom. Okay, well, very good questions. And I thank you for the opportunity to discuss them with you, and I want to take a moment to uh, thank everyone for your pledge, and uh, we had one especially generous donor a few days ago, and I thank you very, very much. I, I upped my Google AdWords immediately from <laughs> $25 a day uh, to $50 a day, so it doubles the amount of um, clicks that uh, visitors uh, would get to the website. So I appreciate your generosity very much. And I also uh, want to give a special thanks to someone who is donating their time to help me with uh, my website. 
thank you again, and uh, may Jehovah bless your search for the truth.